Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're going to talk a lot about a massive weekend of basketball that's happening here in Boulder. Um, really exciting for me. I actually haven't been able to get out and see uh, the the Buffs women's basketball team uh, play, at least in a game. I've seen some practice, but but this is going to be my first time catching them. I'm really excited. I've watched most of their games um, via my Sling account. Uh, I'm a slinger, which, uh, I don't know. The, the best part is you get all six Pac-12 network channels, and the second best part is you get to say that you're a slinger, which is just a great word. I wish at DNVR we had something like that. Um, I'm going to have to work on that. Uh, back to the point. Again, uh, big weekend of basketball. I'm super, super excited. And we're actually going to start by talking about the women today. Uh, just just to like get everybody on the same page. Tonight, Friday night at 7, the Buffs women's team will take on USC. And it's actually surprisingly... Maybe weak is the word. Uh, USC squad. Um, which is going to make it... Honestly, a, a pretty fun game, and there's a good chance the Buffs are going to come out on top, uh, which, just being completely honest, has been pretty rare for Colorado in conference play over the last few seasons. Um, and what makes this game so intriguing to me is that there really aren't a whole lot of measuring stick games for a team in Colorado's tier, you know, a talented team, but a young team. And when you look around the Pac-12, there are so many teams that are elite, could be competing for a national championship at the end of the year. You know, this USC game comes in a stretch when they play three of four games against top 10 ranked opponents. You know, you never know when they're going to pull an upset. They weren't able to do it against Oregon, lost something like 104-46 uh, then Oregon State, I think it ended up being a 12-point game, but they, they, they were tied in the fourth quarter, I believe. Um, and they looked good. They looked like they belonged. It's just that, you know, basketball's a game of runs, so you're, you're going to get your five-point streak, and if you can turn that into seven, that's even better. But when you play these elite teams like Oregon State, they just wind up having more of those streaks. Um, and if you have five, five point streaks, then they're probably going to have seven or eight. And it's just about limiting those and taking advantage when you can. And what I was most impressed about with that Colorado team is that it wasn't one of those games where they held it tight all the way through. 
You know, when you, when you think about potential upsets, and that would have been a very big upset. Uh, Colorado only had the one loss coming in, but they still don't... I mean, they, they aren't a blue blood in the Pac-12. This is newfound success for this basketball team, whereas Oregon State was expected to be very good, and they were very good. They were undefeated, number three in the country. In those situations, especially when the underdog is on the road... You, you expect to see the underdog keep it close all the way through. Or maybe even jump on him early and hold that two, three-point lead all the way through. Um, or at the very least, it's typically, you know, sometimes they'll stretch to seven, but mostly it's within four, and then you get a couple breaks late, take the lead, and pull out a two-point upset. Um, that's not what happened. They fell behind. Uh, they were trailing by, I think, 15 at one point, and they battled back. And I think they at least pulled within two. I can't remember if they tied the game from there. But that's what was so impressive is that when you look at the way these runs all work, you would expect for Oregon State to really take that momentum and just end things. And they didn't. Kind of similar to that Colorado-Oregon State men's game um, where Oregon State was the underdog. And the the talent gap wasn't quite as big there. um, But, you know, they battled back when you thought that they'd been beat down and been proven that Colorado was the better team. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's kind of what we saw out of Colorado in that Oregon State game, bouncing back from the Oregon game. And honestly, it's tough to call a weekend a success when you lose both of your games and one of those losses is by 50 points. But, you know, I said the goal going into it was to keep it within 10 in one of the games. And I think... It ended up being 12. I should probably just pull up that score so I can stop guessing. Um, so so that is kind of a, a decent outcome. You know, that's what we wanted to see because there are tiers in this Pac-12 con- conference. And the difference between the top few teams and the next few teams is so, so, so massive. Um, and in and, and women's basketball, especially college basketball... You see the team that's supposed to win more often than not. You don't see quite as many upsets as you do in the men's game. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you look through Oregon is number two, Oregon State's number three, Stanford's number five, UCLA is number eight, Arizona's 18, and there's a gap. There's a gap. And when half your conference is an, an elite team, it means that you really don't have much room to drop the games that you can win. Um, and and that's where the Buffs find themselves right now. Their first conference game tonight against USC, a team that's 8-6 and six overall. They're 0-3 in conference. They lost by 9 to Arizona State. They lost by 8 to Arizona, uh, a ranked team. And they lost by 24 to uh, UCL- UCLA. This is a game that Colorado probably should win. You know, USC kind of cleaned house. They had people graduate. They had people transfer out. um, And they're young. They're really young. And they have talent too. And so that kind of puts them on that same tier as Colorado. Again, and this is the point that I want to make more than anything else. When so many teams in this conference are so good, you only have, you know, half the games or maybe even less that they are... I don't want to say winnable, but don't already have a loss penciled in. Can't blow those opportunities. 
That's what USC is tonight, and that's what makes this game such a big test for such a young Colorado team, is that I think they know that this is a game that they have to have, um, and it's it's their first uh, home conference game. It's their first home game in, I think, over a month now, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they can do, um, and again... They play Sunday at noon, so that's kind of like the early game of the doubleheader with the men's and women's teams both playing, and that uh, noon start is against UCLA, and UCLA is ranked eighth in the country, undefeated. There, it's tough to tough to say much more than that. You know, there. That's another loss that's penciled penciled in, and in this stretch where they play. Number two, Oregon, the loss. Number three, Oregon State, the loss. Uh, Now USC tonight, and then UCLA Sunday, a penciled-in loss. You know, you you can't go 0-4 in this stretch, even though that's like your 50-50 outcome, probably. Um, That's what makes this USC game so important. It's their chance to really prove themselves in Pac-12 play, and it's it is disappointing that they're playing three of the top four teams um, at uh, or in their first two weeks of conference play, and and that's really difficult. And it's gonna tank their conference record just a little bit because they don't have that chance to uh, step up. Or I guess that wouldn't be three of their first four. No, that'd be four of their first five because they also beat Utah. Um, that was to open, yeah, that was to open Pac-12 play, I believe. Uh, so just having this win tonight would be so huge. Um, we can dig into this just a little bit deeper. Uh, but first, I do want to tell you more about Davidson's beer, wine, and spirits. Davidson's is locally owned and offers over. 1,000 varieties of beer. Uh, they have wines from around the world, they have fine single malts, they have rare whiskeys. The best part is, if you download their app today, you can use the code FIRST10, that's first spelled out, F-I-R-S-T-1-0, and you get 10% off your purchase of $25 or more. What a deal. Uh, they have two convenient locations in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. Definitely check them out. You know, I, I said this last time, but this is a great opportunity and now I feel like everybody can be included because we've gotten the great deal with total beverage up on the north side of Denver and now south of Denver we have Davidson's Centennial and Highlands Ranch with a 10% off discount so definitely definitely check them out okay um digging into this just a little bit more deeply now um that's kind of the wide view of what's going on uh why this game is so important and, uh, you know, when the Pac-12 schedule is just so difficult. And, you know, this is a stretch where they play three top 10 teams in four games. Then next weekend, they play Utah again at home. And they already beat Utah. So you'd think they'd win that. But then they're on the road playing number five Stanford, playing Cal. And then the next weekend, they're home playing Number three, Oregon State. Number two, Oregon. You just do not get a break all the way through. And that's why you have to capitalize on these opportunities. Um, Again, this is a young Colorado team. 
A lot of them have not been in a situation like this before. Plenty of them, plenty of important players, have never played against Pac-12 teams um, before tonight. Or before this season. Um, A lot of them haven't played home against Pac-12 teams until tonight. Um, Including the player who's really the the force behind all this, I believe. Um, and that, that might not be totally fair, but I, I, Jalen Sherrod, she's this little point guard from Birmingham, Alabama. True freshman, has kind of like an afro going, and she's quick. She's She can stop on a dime and get a shot up. She's distributing the ball well. And she's pretty efficient doing it. You know, sometimes those turnover numbers creep up just a little bit. But more often than not, she's taking care of the ball, putting it where it needs to go, and also providing a scoring threat. Uh, I see a lot of McKinley Wright in her game, actually. Um, Being that, you know, it might not be fair to say undersized, but, you know, if if you're looking at next-level type point guards, you'd expect them to be a little bit bigger. Um, just being quick, being fast, being aggressive, head down, getting to the basket. And then when you're forcing teams to spend too much time thinking about you, dish the ball off to whoever you have to help you out. Another name to know is Emma Clark. She, in her sophomore year out of Australia, has taken a huge step forward. Um, She's contributing in a bunch of different ways and she's just such a great pairing. You know, at six foot one, uh, she, she provides a little bit more size from the guard spot. Um, she's scoring well, you know, shooting over 35% from three. Plus she's Oh, for her last eight. She struggled against those Oregon teams. You know, a, a lot of players really had to be throwing up three pointers, especially in that Oregon game, trying to get back into it. But she's averaging over 10 points per game, uh, five rebounds, You've got Aubrey Knight out there, too, who was on this podcast uh, a month or so ago. Maybe, no, a couple months ago. That was a while back. It's crazy how fast this time is going. Um, and and she's kind of been, in, in my opinion, probably their best veteran presence. And the crazy part is she's only a sophomore. Uh, you know, she, she is a redshirt sophomore. She had soldier, shoulder surgery last year that kept her out uh, pretty much the entire season. Enough of the season for her to get the medical redshirt. So she is kind of like the age of a junior. But she has kind of been just a do-it-all forward. You know, whatever you need, she can kind of fill that role. Uh, she, she's put up 24 points before. Uh, she's put up 13 rebounds before. Uh, she's, she's had a few games where she's had some assists. Um, and she's another one of those, just do whatever you need. If you want her shooting threes, she can take some threes. If you want to put the ball in her hands, you can put the ball in her hands. Um, such an important player to what Colorado is doing this year. And again, another player who has just taken probably a bigger step than, a lot of us expected. And and that's been the key to everything that's been going on here is that pretty much everybody is just better at basketball than maybe we were giving them credit for before uh, this season started. You know, Colorado wasn't supposed to be winning this many games. Um, and again, we still have to see some Pac-12 success. The non-conference success is kind of what you expect from every Pac-12 school. Definitely deserve props for not blowing a single game, especially as a young team. But to see... 
them uh, do what they did was a sign of good things to come, especially when you remember this is a really young team. They're still growing together. A lot of them haven't played together before. And now's kind of the time to put up or shut up. You know, we we said you should probably beat Utah. They beat Utah. Um, it, was, it was a tough game. Then we said you probably shouldn't beat uh, Oregon and Oregon State. And they didn't beat Oregon or Oregon State. Now they kind of have to beat USC. Otherwise, they're probably going to lose to UCLA. They, they have a chance against Utah, but where does that put them? Two and six? Two, two and five. Um, in, no, that would be two and four. That put them at two and four in conference heading into a game against number five Stanford. It's so easy to get behind the eight ball when you're competing for those mid-level spots in the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is so good that you could see half the conference go to the NCAA tournament. But for that to be the case, you need somebody in that middle tier to really stand out. Colorado, like a lot of these teams, has the opportunity. The question is just who wins those head-to-head games, those games between USC and Cal and Arizona State and Washington State. And even Washington really is is part of that tier, I think. Um, Again... It's just so exciting to see all of these good things happening um, when they weren't expected. And again, that that hype will fade significantly, I think, if they can't pull out the win tonight, which is too bad. It's, it's one of the struggles of playing in the best um, women's basketball conference in the country, but it's kind of what they signed up for and you know you you have to be able to recruit on the same level you have to be able to coach at the same level and you need to have the same sort of focus that you know those Oregon schools who are pulling 12,000 fans a night are uh pulling you know it's 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 tough it's tough to compete but it's what's supposed to happen hopefully I'll see some of you guys out there tonight uh I'm really excited again I think that's probably the most frustrating part for me as, as somebody who covered some women's basketball last year and actually so so in the big sky conference uh montana pulls massive crowds they've been in a bit of a slump for a few years and it looks like they're kind of pulling out of it this year had a chance to watch them last night um but they still have just massive crowds because everybody's bought in and then you see them go to a gym where there's 200 people maybe in the stands when they go play portland state or, or sacramento state um it's disappointing and you know, I, I hope that Colorado fans will show out. I hope they've heard about this hot start. Um, because, again, when they go play Oregon, that's that's a sellout. I'm sure they have Sabrina Ionescu, potentially the best women's basketball player, or at least college basketball player of all time. But there's there's no reason there, there can't be crowds at CU, especially while we still think that this season could turn into something surprisingly special. Again, hopefully I'll see you out there. If I don't see you tonight, um, there's really no excuse on Sunday. Come for that women's game at noon and then stay for the men's game at four. It's just going to be a great day of Colorado basketball. Um, Before we move on to talk about the men's game, which is uh, coming up this weekend, I do want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. They are in incredible it's really it's really just great beer and and you know we say all the f- cool things about their great Kolsch ales and their whatever 
and uh, I have to like learn that stuff and try it so I know what I'm talking about. And you know, we, we had to go out there and have like the full flight so we could try all the different beers and talk about, oh, this one's a little bit bitter. It fits well in this, whatever. I, I don't really get into all that stuff. All I can tell you is that my favorite part is that it's really good beer at a really great price. Um, for me, as somebody who just spent four years in college and a couple years in high school drinking really cheap, bad beer, you know, I'm talking like Kirkland Light um, because it was like 15 cents a can cheaper than Coors Light. And it was it was really awful. You just buy like, I think they came in like 60 packs of Kirkland Light. Ugh, ugh. And eventually I even had to say like, I had three roommates. I was like, guys, stop doing this. We cannot keep drinking that. Like I will pay the difference between this and Coors Light, which at least is like a, it's, it's beer, right? And so, so that's the life I was living for four or maybe a couple more years. And now that I have transitioned out of college, I get to drink like adult beers and I can do that without breaking the bank. And that's kind of the key to everything I do in my life is like, what's the, what's the best I can do that looks like I'm treating myself and that kind of stuff, but also I'm doing it on budget. Breckenridge beer is just exactly that really good beer at a really great price. Um, hopefully you guys are checking it out. If you need somewhere to go, obviously, the presenting sponsor of this podcast, Davidson's, is a great option, especially if you're on the south side of town. But if you're north of Denver, or for some reason you're going to be north of Denver, specifically Westminster or Thornton, then check out Total Beverage. If you use the code uh, DNVR2019, you can get 30% off your purchase. It's a steal. There's no reason for you guys not to be doing that it's 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 just incredible value for something that already if you're getting the Brackenridge beers is pretty cheap and everything that they have there they sell at great prices like that's the best part of going to a liquor store that's just massive you know going back to the Kirkland Light at Costco the margins are slim but they get so many people through there that they're able to make a profit it's the same thing and it's a local business. It's not like you're going to like a big guy. It's not like the Walmart because all of that money is still sticking around here. So you can feel good about that too. Go to Total Beverage. There's just no no other way to get that sort of value. 30% off plus they'll deliver it or you can order ahead in the app and they'll just put it to the side for you. All you have to do is walk in and say, hey, I'm Henry. Uh, can I, oh, you, you wouldn't unless you're also named Henry. And if that's the case, you should definitely hit me up. Cause I think that'd be kind of fun. I've always thought like people post on Twitter about the group chats where everybody has the same name might need to be doing something like that. I don't know. Um, but the point is you go in there, you tell them your name, whether it's Henry, whether it's a silver buff, whether it's whatever, and they'll just be like, Oh yeah, it's that right there. And I'm not sure. They always ask me for my idea, but that might be because I look like I'm 13. It could be that that's uh, like just how they make sure you're actually you. I guess if you say your name, you probably, I don't know. It's so quick. There's no reason not to do it. That's that's the key to all this. And that's why we partner with these people because they really are your best options. Okay. Um, sports though, which are cool. 
Let's talk about this game for Colorado, the men's team on Sunday. It's a, it's a big one. And I'm not necessarily sure that it had to be a, a big one. Again, they're playing Utah at 4 o'clock. Utah, it's, they're not good. They're not bad. You know, they're, uh, they're just complicated. Good win over Kentucky. They, they kept a game close against Oregon. Lost by five, I think, to Oregon. No, three. I think it was 69-66. That's a game they could have pulled out. Or maybe they no, I think they won by three against Kentucky. But uh, either way, three or five, those are the margins in those two games. They're tight. They're giving good games to good teams, and they pulled one of them out. That said, they are 0 3 in conference play. Um they they are not by any means a, a Pac 12 uh title contender. What scares me the most about this game is essentially all those things I just told you. Uh they have that upset potential. They've proven to have upset potential. And and that upset potential really starts with uh their their star, Timmy Allen. He's a forward, wears number one. Uh he's only a sophomore, six six. Uh he's a really good basketball player. And if you look back, you know, he's he's pretty hot. They have him essentially just carry this team. Against Oregon, they lost 69-64, and then they beat Kentucky 69-66. Okay, so I was close. So they lose to Oregon. He put up 20, or 19 points. Game before that, he puts up 25. Before that, 21. Before that, the win against Kentucky puts up 25, um, shooting over 50% from the field. And uh, before that, he put up 19. They want to get him the ball. They want him to score. And it's going to be interesting to me to see how Tad Boyle wants to match up against him. Uh, because he has some options. If, if if I were just to tell you, hey, this other team has a great forward, how are you going to stop him? I bet we all have brains that go to the same place. Tyler Bay. Um, but in that last game uh, against Oregon State, Tad put Deshaun Schwartz on Trace Tinkle, who... Similar to Timmy is kind, or Timmy Allen. Um, I love the name Timmy. Uh, is is just a guy who is a clear number one option for that team. Um, and so it's interesting that they didn't go with Tyler. Uh, what makes this one comparable? You know, they're both six foot six. They're like the same size of guy. They're a little bit different style of player, but. This week, Tad said that he has been second-guessing his decision to put Deshaun on Tyler Bay, or on uh, on Trace Tinkle, and thinks it might have been better off if he had put Tyler Bay there instead. I wrote a story about that that went up yesterday, I think. Something like Tad Boyle knows the problem, something like that. Uh, check it out if you haven't yet. Um, there's a bunch of good stuff, particularly basketball stuff on the website right now. We've got that. It's basically like 800 words on what is going wrong with a... a inability to execute defensive game plans. Uh, Tad Boyle, I, I can't remember what stayed and what got cut because it was pretty long. Um, but Tad Boyle talking about, you know, he's, he stays up at night wondering why McKinley Wright and Sean Schwartz are still fouling three-point shooters when that's something they should learn in third grade. You know, it's all these details that 
he's frustrated with. So I went through that in there. I also have something up on Keyshawn Bartholomew. Um, I hadn't seen an update on what's going on with him in a while, so I figured I'd go talk to him. Uh, he's trying to put on weight. Got up to 172 last... Yeah, it would have been last week. Dropped down to 170 on Tuesday? Monday or Tuesday. Uh, and that's kind of like the fight that he's having right now. Like He's drinking protein smoothies, trying to gain weight. Uh, Tad Boyle says he's ready to play offensively, and they kind of... We kind of need a guy like him, a secondary ball handler. McKinley said he he likes playing off ball when Keyshawn's out there. He's so smart. He does good things that it gives McKinley a chance to try something else, to be a different style player, to just add a little tweak to that offense. Um, so that's up there too. Again, 800 words on Keyshawn Bartholomew, and kind of how he's modeling his game after McKinley, what Tad sees. Uh, also, should say the defense needs work and he needs to get a little bit bigger. Um, and those are the reasons that he's really redshirting this year. Um, what else is up there? I think there's other stuff. Uh, but, but yeah, so definitely check that out. If you're a member, um, the relevant part back to the point is that he's second guessing his decision to put Deshaun Schwartz on, uh, on, uh, trace tinkle instead of Tyler Bay. And now, they're facing a similar situation with Timmy Allen and Utah. And Timmy Allen has kind of been the catalyst for this offense. He's shooting 50% from the field. He's averaging over 21 points per game, nearly eight rebounds per game. You shut him down. Utah really doesn't have many guys who can beat you. Uh, you don't shut him down. And all of a sudden you start letting guys work off of him. And uh, then, then things can start to get ugly. So that's one thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing is knowing that Trace Tinkle kind of got loose late. Uh, how how do they avoid having that problem against this Utah team, a team that they've already played, by the way? Um, so that's one thing really worth watching. Um, also want to see, again, what this rotation looks like uh, because... Tad also has had some interesting insights into that as well, um, particularly with Deshaun getting into foul trouble and coming back in the first half uh, despite being in foul trouble. Uh, and Tad's thoughts on that move were pretty interesting. He said he trusts Deshaun. Um, he knows that Deshaun can play in important situations. He's played in big games before. He's obviously made clutch buckets, thinking back to that Dayton game. He's somebody who you can put out there and that you trust. And if things aren't going well for him, he's a guy you think, yeah, he could he could probably turn things around because he is kind of that veteran presence. Uh, he he's experienced enough to do that. When he goes out, you have guys like uh, Eli Parquet play more. Uh, guys like uh, oh geez, who else came in? Um, Dalen Koontz, for example, play more. Um, and 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 when those guys are playing they don't have that same experience. They're still young players. And young players, more than more experienced players, are pretty streaky. They're hot or they're cold. And they have trouble, when they're cold, getting hot again. So, when Deshaun goes to the bench, when he, they want him to sit with uh, the foul so that he doesn't get another, they put some combination of these young guys in. And when they do that, 
they're hoping to see him play well, but if they don't play well, they can't get good minutes out of him. That's when they put Deshaun in. So that really does factor in. I thought that his analysis there was pretty interesting. Again, this rotation is not sorted out yet, um, which I think is fair. I would like to see them cut it down more. I think I was kind of surprised this weekend that they hadn't cut it down more again. Foul trouble there. Uh, Evan Batty also got into some foul trouble, and that opens things up. But, you know, against Oregon State, uh, they had nine guys play against Oregon. They had uh, ten guys play. When you get to tournament time, that number gets down to seven or eight. Um, and, and when that gets down to seven or eight, who who do you go to? Uh I think I think now that Shane Gatling has played a few games in the starting lineup, he's probably going to stick there. I think that that makes the most sense. That gets all of your talent out on the floor. And when you are playing with that seven or eight man rotation, you're you're keeping at least a couple of the starters out on the floor, so you don't have to worry too much about the strength of your bench unit because they aren't just carrying things by themselves. If you don't have enough scoring there, it's probably all right. Just play the guys who really can't score with your best starters who can score because you aren't going with an all-bench unit. Um, It makes sense to me that they haven't totally cut it down, though I did think against Oregon they would tighten it up a little more. And you saw Maddox Daniels. He had his seven minutes. Dallas Walton had three minutes. Strotting had five minutes. So that is closer because those guys aren't playing a whole lot. But eventually, I think this is going to be, you know, your starters with Wright, Gatling, Schwartz, Bay, Batty. And then off the bench, you got Seawert and you have Koontz. And I think that those are probably the seven you want to see in a tournament game. You don't want to wear guys down too early in the season, but in the big games, the games you have to win... Test out that tournament lineup. Make them play big. It's great to get experience for the younger guys. It's great to take the load off of the more experienced guys. But you, you, you got to win these games. And I think that we're probably approaching, at least we're, we're within a few weeks of them really starting to tighten things up. Um, and, you know, you don't want to go into a tournament with a rotation that you haven't tested at least a few times in games. Um, and there's going to be a fight. You know, I think Koontz has that spot now. If Maddox Daniels gets hot from three, he could take that spot. Uh, you know, uh, who else have we talked about? Um, Parquet. If Parquet gets hot from three, if he takes a step, then he could take that spot. Um, Dallas Walton. If, if he can provide more defense in the post, more rebounding, and maybe make a couple buckets, he, he can... Every piece of his offensive game is just a little bit disappointing. Um, you know, and it started in that first game of the season against Arizona State when he's taking those elbow jumpers and they just aren't falling. Um, if he gets one or two of those to go down, all of a sudden the narrative of Dallas Walton in that game changes and, and people aren't quite so harsh on him. And maybe that turns into a little bit of momentum going forward. So he has that free throw line game. He, he, he can make a couple threes. He can do stuff under the basket. I just wish that 
you know, maybe maybe if he could do more with his back to the basket and and make that, you know, a strength, which it probably should be as a seven footer, and and do that in exchange for being able to make uh 20% of his threes or whatever that number is, take that down to 10% because Right now, it's just tough to play him because he doesn't have a thing that he does really well. I, th- I think that that bodes well for him in the future because if he, if he can, I don't know, put together some sort of back-to-the-basket game, uh, teams are scared to see him in the post, he, he becomes a better cutter, then all of a sudden, that opens up everything else. And that, that makes it easier to get those open elbow jumpers those shots become easier for him uh he he becomes more open on his three-point attempts which makes those more likely to go in he just doesn't have anything right now that really opens everything else up i don't think he's going to find that this season i don't think that he's going to find that strength but he is well-rounded enough that when he does have a plus skill i think i think that he could take a, a leap fairly quickly I think it's going to take an off-season of work to to do that. Um, but again, who knows? Maybe maybe he cracks the rotation. You go big. Um, or maybe it's eight men and you include Seward and you include Walton. Seward's the only lock at this point. I think Koontz has got to be the favorite to be the next, um, the, the seventh guy. But I don't know. Um, so... The reason I kind of want to talk about this specifically today is that even though Utah has shown the, the potential to upset uh, good basketball teams like Colorado, odds are Colorado's still going to win this game, and odds are they're going to win by 10, 15 points, and there might be some minutes for guys like you know Eli Parquet to show what they can do, Alexander Strotting to show what they can do. Um, Maddox Daniels, you know, he if he gets hot, all of a sudden he puts together a few games where he gets hot. He is a threat to be a, an important piece of this rotation. You just haven't quite seen it yet, and that's made other flaws in his game um, stick out more. But everybody has flaws in their games. The question is just whether your strengths overcome them. Maddox's haven't yet. That could change. Uh, so that's kind of what I really want to see. You know, first of all, what does Tad do? When, uh, or who who does he put on, uh, Timmy, and and the other the other regret he said he had or the, the decision he was second guessing is that he was late to call the timeout when Oregon started making that twenty four five run, in uh, or to close the game, uh, will he take timeouts more quickly when other team starts making runs it's unlikely you know the book on him is that he waits he wants his team to play through it figure it out for themselves uh you know whatever for whatever reason he has um maybe though maybe there's a change after seeing what happened huh uh and then of course the third thing i'm really watching for is do any of these bench guys step up do they make a claim for, for one of these jobs because I think that they'll get some minutes. They'll have an opportunity. And, you know, those are those are kind of the fun games to watch. As much as we like the great competitive down to the wire, is McKinley Wright going to be able to make a last-second bucket? You know, those are high-intensity, kind of high-stress. Um, they're a lot of fun, but at the same time, getting a chance to see what some of these other guys on the roster can do... <sighs> that that's really fun too especially when you know 
there's there's quite a bit on the line still um, in terms of who's going to be playing uh, late in the season when the Buffs are making their final push before the tournament and then inside the tournaments. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything I want to talk about. Um, so let's move along to uh, Mile High Green Cross, which is conveniently located uh, about a block and a half away. It's like the next block, so block over on the other side. Um, so swing by. Uh, we've got to tell you about our friends over at Mile High Green Cross. These guys offer an experience that you won't forget. Mile High Green Cross has award-winning products, and you can check out this year's Cannabis Cup-winning products when you head to their website. They're giving the DNVR family $5 off your purchase of $25 or more. All you have to do is mention this ad. Mile High Green Cross offers a variety of CBD products from edibles to concentrates to cartridges. They pride themselves on their customer service, and it shows. Every single time you pop in, you'll receive uh, one-on-one attention with one of their seasoned sales associates. Not to mention, they have everyday low prices on in-house products, such as $99 pre-pack ounces and V3 hash oil bulk deals, like five cartridges for $100. Mile High Green Cross offers out-the-door pricing. What they advertise is what you pay. No cash, no problem. Mile High Green Cross now accepts, accepts hyper What's even better is the amount of time you spend in the dispensary. On average, the time you walk in to the time you walk out is only about nine minutes. I know that's super important for me personally in my hectic and crazy life. They're informative. They're speedy. So head downtown today and check out Mile High Green Cross. They're conveniently located on 9th and Broadway, and they also offer parking in the back. Remember, mention this ad and receive $5 off your purchase of $25 or more. Okay, uh, moving along. I actually haven't checked if there are any questions. So while I check, uh, I do want to tell you guys that there's been something weird on my mind and we haven't been weird enough on this podcast recently. Uh, and so I'm just going to share this with you. So when I was going to the Nuggets watch party we had on Wednesday, I believe, uh, down at Sports Column, I was, I was in the Uber and I had just finished like the podcast. I just finished writing. I was kind of hyped up on coffee. And so I was like, okay, I need to like de-stress and be like a, a real person who could communicate with people like my coworkers and also like the hundred of pe- hundred people who want to watch the nuggets at our watch party and talk buffs. Um, so I, I was looking at like nature pictures, which is like a weird thing to do. And a picture of Mount Everest came up. And it didn't look that big. And now for a few days, I've just been thinking, like, is it a weird take that Mount Everest is actually not as big? Like, like it's it's super big, but when you see it, you don't think, like, oh, wow, I understand why people die climbing this. And maybe that's just my 2019 millennial, or I missed that millennial cutoff by, like, one year, and I can't remember what the other thing is called, but... Is that just my brain saying, like, how is that happening when we have, like, the technology we have? And that's what you're climbing right there. Um, That's been a weird thing that's really been on my mind. Um, Also, we have no comments. And so we got to talk about some other things. And what I want to talk about is LaVisca Chenault. Because he signed with Clutch Sports, uh, the the agency that uh, is best known probably 
for being like LeBron's um LeBron's agency. He like Rich Paul started, you know the story. Rich Paul was selling LeBron jerseys, uh like knockoff jerseys. I think outside the airport, LeBron happened to be at the airport in Cleveland and was like, dude, what's this? And so they ended up talking and LeBron was impressed. And so Rich started working for LeBron, helping with some management type stuff. Again, LeBron's impressed. Rich grows and grows in terms of like his relationship with LeBron. LeBron's trusting him to run a business. And so then they started Clutch Sports and that represents a bunch of big time athletes, primarily basketball players. I think that I think LaVisca Chenault signing with Clutch Sports makes him just the second football player. Um I can't remember who the first is though. I don't know. So that's a big deal and we'll see what that actually means um in in the NBA world there's a, a thought that Players who sign with Clutch are likely signing with Clutch because of the money. Um, Rich Paul has a history of getting his clients incredible deals. Um, That doesn't really translate to LaVisca's situation at the moment because pretty much his entire rookie contract is not going to be guaranteed. Um, But it is interesting. That's where he wound up. You'll remember a week or two ago, LaVisca was at Staples Center sitting courtside with uh Kobe Bryant um and Kobe's daughter uh Gigi who like ESPN and like those types of companies like to promote like they like they like to post post pictures of LeBron coaching her basketball team she's like 13 or something um or Kobe coaching her basketball team um, and so those two are there, uh, Visca's sitting there and Rich Paul's sitting there. Um, so we kind of thought that this would be the way it goes. Visca gets fronted a bunch of money. I have no idea how much money I do know that he posted on his Instagram that he's in, uh, I think Miami now, Florida. Uh, he's, he's been all over the place, obviously in LA for that getting like dapped up by LeBron pregame as you'd expect. And what a sales pitch. You know, like when when guys are trying to sign agents, and I actually haven't heard from Mikhail which agency he signed with, but I know he was in Boulder and had, I think, three meetings last weekend to figure out where he was going to sign. Uh, So that's crazy to think, like, three people trying to convince you that they can represent you, that they have the contacts that they're the ones who should be able to convince NFL teams to give you a shot. Um, that's that's what Mikhail's agents ha- have to do because he is likely, you know, a training camp invite guy. Visca on the other side, you know, teams have him on their radar. And so there isn't that much on that side that they really have to do at this point. Obviously, there's still going to be like media requests and they're still going to have to have the meetings with the teams and they're going to have to like talk to the scout. There's, there's like a whole bunch of that stuff still going on. Um, but likely won't affect where he's drafted nearly as much. Um, but when he signs, since he doesn't have that contract yet, he still gets like a boatload of money that his agent will front him. And then he pays back when he gets his signing bonus. 
It's a crazy world. And I'm trying to get in touch with Visca to chat about all this soon because this... I just can't imagine what it'd be like going through this process at this stage in life. You know, he's 21, getting handed the money, um, saying, hey, come out for this business meeting courtside at Staples Center in L.A. And then go hang out with this trainer and these guys who are getting trained in Texas and then in Florida and just kind of like going all around, all while trying to convince the entire NFL world that, you're a better prospect than Henry Ruggs. And that's kind of his competition at this point in that draft. Um, If you guys listen to the draft podcast, we've had a lot of great uh, conversations about Visca recently because it is such an interesting future for him. Trying to figure out where exactly he fits in the NFL. Um, How much value does he add because of his ability to play running back? Um, should, should the Sammy Watkins comparison scare you off? Should the injuries scare you off? And you know, right now, I think we ran through our top 15 mock draft last week. Um, and if you guys haven't listened to this podcast yet, you definitely should, because we also preview the college football national championship, uh, that's, that's going on Monday. We're going to have a live show, by the way, uh, Andre Simone, our draft guru, our analytics guy, um, he's getting ready to go out to the Senior Bowl to see, I guess not just Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault, um, or not LaVisca, sorry, uh, Davion Taylor, but also, you know, Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert and all of the big names. So he's really tuned into that stuff. I obviously cover college football, and so I get to see a lot of big-time prospects in person, which is a pretty cool thing. And then it'll be the two of us. Also, Justin Michael, who covers uh, the Rams for DNVR. We'll have like a post-game live show on Periscope. We'll also be posting it um, on like our normal podcast channel, so you can listen if you don't want to watch live. But really, we'll be breaking down everything we saw because I, I if you're a Broncos fan or really the, a fan of any NFL team, there's a good chance that one of the guys in this game is going to end up being on your team. There are seriously, I, I wouldn't be surprised if each of these teams has nine guys drafted. It's incredible. And the best part is they're going head to head. You know, you get to see Justin Jefferson uh, go up against AJ Terrell. Uh, you get to see. Um, T. Higgins go up against Christian Fulton. Obviously, Joe Burr, uh, the the running backs going back and forth um, with uh, Travis Etienne and then also uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So much fun to watch. Listen to the to our podcast because I think we really dug into those individual mashups, who we think is going to win. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And it'll get you all set up, you know, unless you're like a diehard Ohio State or not not Ohio State. They lost. Uh, LSU or Clemson fan. This is what we, we, what, what we wanted to do is give everybody who isn't just like a fan of those teams a reason to watch that game because we know everybody's going to be watching. But let's show you what to look at. Um, because there are some depth guys, the, the linebackers, these late round guys um, who whose names you might as well know because there's a decent chance they might end up on whatever team you care about and you can have some inside scoop having watched them critically. Um, okay, one last plug. Again, 
we'll be doing a live show on Periscope Twitter after uh, after the game, talking about everything we saw and kind of coming back to all those breakdowns. The reason I brought that up in the first place, and sorry that took so long, um, was that we ran through our uh, mock draft in that podcast as well. The Broncos picked 15th, so we ran through the first 15. Um, to move quickly, just because we're interested in the later part of this, one was Joe Burrow, two Chase Young, three Tua, four Andrew Thomas, five Jeffrey Okuda, uh, six Justin Herbert, seven Derek Brown, eight CeeDee Lamb, nine Jerry Judy. Um, and so those are the first two receivers. We think Lamb beats Jerry Judy, but they're both kind of a little step ahead. Uh, Ten Jedrick Wills, 11 Tristan Wirfs. And then at number 12, Henry Ruggs, at 13, LaVisca Chenault. And so that's really that interesting debate that we've been having on our podcast that people everywhere are having you know do you take Henry Ruggs or do you take LaVisca Chenault um Henry Ruggs is the Alabama receiver by the way who there's a chance he's gonna run in the four twos uh a lot of people think he's going to break the all-time combine 40-time record which would be pretty crazy obviously but uh there are concerns, you know, he's super fast, but also he drops the ball a lot. He, he isn't a great route runner. Um, meanwhile, LaVisca Chenault has the injury concerns, but he's a monster and he, he has the route running concerns as well, but he plays so well against zone coverage. He can find little windows. He picked up, I think he picked up 16 third downs receiving this year, uh, which which is a, a, a incredibly high number, especially when we consider the way he was used, um, not being in on third downs sometimes, not being in for games sometimes. Um, that's kind of the interesting debate, and so to be going through that, having the media, having me talk about this right now while you're trying to work, convince people, it's an interesting time for Viskin. Like I said, I'm trying to get in touch with him. Um, I, I talked to him briefly, and he said he could talk soon. But it's a busy guy. Very busy guy. Okay. Um, I think that that pretty much does it today. Was there any other notes? Oh, I don't think I uh, mentioned yesterday that Mike McIntyre is uh, now going to be the uh, defensive coordinator at Memphis. Um you guys were probably interested in that. You guys have probably already seen that, but I should say that on this podcast. So yeah, now you know, if you didn't know before. Uh, I don't really have many thoughts. I didn't cover him. I know a lot of people who don't necessarily like him are happy to see that he's there. Okay, um, we can move along though. I think that was the only other note. I'll be back on Monday with the podcast. Hopefully you guys will have some questions. Hopefully you guys will have some thoughts on the the basketball games whether it's the women playing USC tonight at seven whether it's uh the women playing UCLA number eight UCLA at noon on Sunday or whether it is uh the men's team playing Utah at four on Sunday uh those are all the things that are going on I'll see you then, I guess. Uh, oh, if you don't, if you ha- if you haven't like reviewed or left a comment on the podcast on like iTunes or wherever you listen, really appreciate those. I haven't asked for that in a while, um, but 
they are very important to us going forward and growing this podcast. We're in 42 countries, by the way. I just went back and checked yesterday. Uh, since I took over in July, downloads in 42 countries. This is growing, and it's growing even though we're in the off-season, which is pretty cool. Um, thanks for tuning in. If you have any thoughts, as always, leave them in the comments for the post for today's show, and I will read them on Monday. See you then.